You know, friends, Protect Your Noggin is, I think, really becoming a podcast that is uh, documenting our family's journey from religious fundamentalism to what we're calling full spectrum emancipation. Kind of started out the way we described it is uh, that we were helping ourselves and others outfox religious wolves. But ultimately, we started to realize that, sure, there are high control religions, there are cults um, that we can identify as very clearly cults, you know. But we started to see the ways in which so much of our lives, whether it's through politics or through our own kind of conservative religious ethos and, 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 and context, that we were not as healthy as we could have been. We were not as happy and free as we uh, should be. And, uh, and so that's kind of the journey that we're inviting you to. And so last week we were kind of talking about abortion because it's something that we had to reframe or reconsider in light of changes in the way we thought about religion and politics just generally. Uh, that said, for today's show, we're excited to talk about some things about going to evangelical youth group that we want to make sure that we consider for young people today. In other words, we're not saying that you should try to get your kids into a youth group that you don't trust or anything like that, or, or even that you need to send kids to church. What we want to talk about are 10 plus things that Stacy and I really valued and, and, and found important about uh, our, our upbringing in an evangelical non-denominational youth group. And by examining these things, we can help ourselves uh, make sure we plug into our own lives these nurturing encounters and relationships and structures and also help our young people to have these important things that youth group provided for us without necessarily going and just sending them off to church to get indoctrinated. So that's what this is about. This is about the good things that we remember from our evangelical youth group. And I think it's fun to be able to be grateful instead of always just being negative about the past. It's just a helpful exercise for us, but also I think important for you. So glad you're here with us, friends. Let's go. All right, Stacy. One thing you wanted to mention about the last episode when we were talking about abortion mm. and stuff mm-hmm. was something that um, that non-religious people maybe don't think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was basically when I was pregnant. There's this whole debate around uh, the amniocentesis where... What's the debate? Well, the debate is that uh, at least, you know, I really haven't in recent years looked into the research, which I'm sure there's more done on it, but because I haven't been pregnant for quite a long time here. Uh, but that uh, You were pregnant before the internet, you know. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, the, the idea, at least um, what I was told was that there's the possibility of... Uh, that a fetus might uh, spontaneously abort once you put the needle in for the amniocentesis, like at some point, like, so that, this is what I was just told. Yeah, this the amniocentesis is, is a procedure. 
So the amniocentesis is the process where you stick a needle in in the, the mom's belly to collect some of the fluid there inside of the you know the the uterus there. The amniotic fluid. Correct, and um, and then from there they can collect uh, basically some DNA information, and uh, you, you can be told about you know maybe the concern or possibility, and maybe even sometimes the um, you know for sure about certain birth defects or, or things that are going on with the baby. And so it, it's done pretty early on. So you kind of have this time to, you know, at least have this knowledge and prepare yourself, uh, for, uh, you know, what you might be expecting. Um, or maybe if you wanted to, you can choose to have an abortion if there's severe birth defects and things like that. Um, And a lot of times they'll even warn you that you might already, um, end up having a premature baby anyway. Um, it may not, you may not go to term. All of that was um, this debate of, well, in the Christian community, like I knew that no matter what news I heard, that I was going to keep my baby. I wasn't going, you know, to, didn't matter what, what I heard. So then why take that risk, right? right. Why I did go ahead and elect to um, get the amniocentesis on both of my pregnancies, largely because I figured that if there was something severe enough, I or I, or I learned of something, Again, especially pre-internet, mm. I wanted time to prepare myself psychologically yeah, right. and our living space and our physically family, sure. and our family and everything. So I figured that I needed that space and time to get and prepare myself um, as best as possible, you know, for what would be coming. Um, but it was, you know, some people frowned upon me for <laughs> even getting it done. And yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Right. And, and. Anyway, so that was my that it's was my choice. It's a lack of faith in the evangelical world in a way that was like a lack of faith to just to very basically take the test. Right. And I, you know, I was already, you know, overwhelmed with thinking of like, you know, all of that is involved in becoming a mother and like, you know, and having a baby for the first time and learning all these things about how to care for it and everything. And I couldn't imagine just sort of having it sprung on me. <laughs> At the delivery room, yes. that your child has all these needs and feels yeah. so completely, you know, behind, you know, like just overwhelmed with yeah. being able and can we possibly be able to um, support this child the way we need to? Anyway, so that was that was sort of the thing that was going on. It was a big deal back in the day, though, yeah. and there was a lot of like stress and thought and I think and shame, everything and shame that went into it. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so anyway, I just it, that was just something that another little aspect of what it was in the Christian community to even just to, to have that knowledge to inform myself of it. And I think that the, the fear would be that I would, if I got that news, um, you know, not for me, but I think from the community in general would be that there would be the temptation to have an abortion. Yeah. So, Hey, let's talk about more fun things. <laughs> let's talk about youth group. Now, well, we've uh, had a lot of really uh, disgusting news in even just the last couple of weeks about youth pastors being naughty. Um, and at the church where we grew up, mm-hmm. the uh, a youth pastor had uh, assaulted kids, you know, like not the one that we had, but then after the fact. So it's like, okay, uncomfortable. We're not denying that. What we want to talk about, again, are the top 10 plus one, <laughs> 10 and a half things that we found really, really cool about being in youth group, why we cared about it. And we're going to kind of just brainstorm with you, dear listener, how we can maybe 
bring these aspects of youth group into our lives without having to right. go into a wacky youth group. That's and that's well, and that's for me the the motivation for this show is to say that there was there was so much that was good about that time in my yeah. life and that my the youth group was my life for a while and some it, very happy and, moments and a huge support network of a time to get through some very difficult childhood years when yep. you know you're growing and developing and like becoming people and like how do you um you know how do you start to branch off into this world as a person instead of just you know under your family and there were many, many things that I valued and gained from it, and, and that it was an important thing for me. I think I am a much uh, better person. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. So I would say that some of these things, um, as much as maybe they might resonate with, like, <laughs> you think it might be important for your, your own children, that maybe you can get it at some of this in a youth group, um, and then also helping to make sure that, that it's a safe, supportive community. The other thing I would say to it is it doesn't necessarily need, as you were saying, to be in a youth group setting. But I think these concepts, these these things are valuable to be able to pass on to your children wherever, however, in your community it might look for them to be able to find it or help. You can help create it uh, for for your children. Yes. And for members of the community. That's you what know? I mean. Yeah. I mean, like in right, your community, yeah, if yeah, it doesn't yeah. already exist, yeah. then help you, you can help create that, you know, perhaps maybe yep. come together, you know, with some families or whatever and figure out, you know, how, anyway, I just yep. think that they, it's, there were some it's very important. important things, but it doesn't have to be tied into a religion. That's the thing. Like, you know, we could actually right. care for kids and not do it just because we're trying to trick them into our belief system. Well, and that's the thing. It's like <laughs> all of this was supported, I guess, and paid for because people were willing to. And, and I was even allowed to do these activities because, yes. you know, God was involved and my yeah. eternal soul was involved. I want to apologize for the tone deafness of my lyrics on the last show. That was from high school, 1991. I was a junior in high school, and I wrote it before that. I really feel bad because the, the guitar uh, of Scott Copeland and Chad Saltikoff is pretty good, you know? <laughs> but um, but that is an interesting piece of it. Well, you were, I wouldn't have been able to to have that space to play the rock and roll. I didn't and even all list that equipment this. and being able to record. We, and- uh, the church was a place. We started out, we weren't... A, Christian band, but then this was became, you know, very enticing because if we just kind of threw in a little bit more Christian lyrics, we could, we could use the, the church building. But the idea is that, that these endeavors are there to kind of trick us into having fun at church so that we kind of stick around, you mm-hmm. know? So that and was, I will say, you know, I will say that, that, um, your band was a large piece that caused me to stick around. Mm-hmm. I was introduced to your, uh, you know, the, one of the earlier versions of your band, um, before Chad Before and all Sons that. of Asaph, we were called something, uh, hysteria? St- not hysteria, but hysteria. <laughs> It's a place. It was kind of hysteria. No, it's a difficult place. Anyway, Anyway. uh, but so I was uh, what I was coming into seventh grade. I was interested in sort of connecting with people my age. I my dad says, "Hey, why don't you try the youth group?" I guess he uh, was going to be a volunteer uh, staff person or whatever. And uh, I think because one of his deacon duties, I think it was like he was going to do the volunteer in the youth group. So I, Mm. I. I, he brought me, he's got to bring his daughter with him if he's going to volunteer in the middle school, right? And then I got introduced to your band as there was an overnighter thing. And, you know, and that the was overnighters. The thing. I got, a, I was allowed 
to hang out to with, hang out with guys and gals all night. Like, I think I, you're jumping ahead, Stacey, I'm to sorry. our list. No, but that's well, right. I'm, yep. I'm saying that's how it's a preview. That's yes. how <laughs> that's what that that's what drew me in. Yep. And where I fell in love with you because you're up there on the stage, and I'm like that. I I love him. I you know that that guy. Oh, you know, anyway, so that was where I got my crush. I mean, that's not I mean, where I fell in love with you. I, well, I, no. I got my crush and then, you know, love at first yep. sight. So, yes. Yep. But uh, anyway, I stuck around and yes. I wanted to keep coming back and I wanted to get to know who are these people in this band and who are these people that are coming to this, you know, all nighter. And anyway, so then I was hooked. Let's do it. No particular order, but all we would consider top 10 things that were great about youth group. Number one, access to expensive adventures. Yes. We went to, uh, to go rock climbing in Joshua Tree in Morro Bay, water skiing. These are things I was, a, I was a kid. I did not have any ability to do those things. We did not have a boat. We, didn't, we had peanut butter tub. Mm-hmm. You were already going to Laughlin and, and, to, and to Bullhead City. You, you, were, you were going to the river. You guys had water skis. I didn't have, I didn't have like a, 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 a boogie board. Mm-hmm. So for me, me just kind of jumping over to the church thing, if I could get a little money, sometimes they would scholarship me, but I could go out and hang out with kids on a boat. Mm-hmm. I could hang out with kids that had access to kind of the upper middle class lifestyle and um, I could just fit right in. Well, my parents had a boat, but one of the things that I really appreciated was uh, being able to go snow skiing because ski lift tickets are oh, yeah. so expensive. And it was one thing where, you know, with my family of four kids, if, even if we went to the mountains, they really couldn't afford to gear us all up and get us all ski lift tickets. And so what I could do is go on the youth group by myself. And um, I mean, I worked, so I was able to pay for these adventures, but I got access to snow skiing and not only snow skiing, but being with people of all different levels of skiing so that they, I wasn't by myself. I didn't like, I didn't know how to get off of a chairlift, you know, but having somebody else that has been there before sit next to me and walk me through it was, you know, was a huge, huge Yeah. You wouldn't just the access to that kind of thing. But so these are all very bougie things and I'm not saying that that's necessarily what everybody needs, but I will say giving people access to activities like river rafting besides just sitting around, you know, twiddling your thumbs and getting into trouble. Yeah. River rafting, all these things. Um, you know, a lot of young people, if you're a person that said, I used to go to church, I don't want to put my kids through that. Are they just on the video games all day? Mm-hmm. The youth group helped us to have really healthy uh, outings. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then we did it as well when I was doing youth work, you know, bringing kids from the city, uh, you know, in Philadelphia out to the countryside to be able to do things that just, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do. And I think the takeaway for that is to say, uh, if you don't do it yourself as a family, find a way to connect your kids with affinity groups where there are outings. It could be with the local Audubon Society and they're doing hikes and stuff. But just something something that's going to get your kids outside of just school. Mm-hmm. Just like a lot of times kids spend all their time just studying and the burden of school. Maybe they have a part-time job. But getting, getting the opportunity to go out with other kids and do those kinds of things. You really know, one of, one of the other trips, I mean, it's not, you know, it's that I appreciated though was, uh, you know, doing a trip like up the, up the coast. So we just rented a van and we did, you know, trip up the coast of California and stopped at different places like Solvang, you know, San Francisco and all these things. One of the things I would say about that is, I mean, you could organize with a group, either, you know, find somebody that has a van or rent a van and take, you know, several 
teenagers out yeah. and just for a road trip somewhere, you know? Or if you have a family and you're, and you've got a couple kids, maybe, you know, make sure that you are really accommodating, invite your kids' friends to come yeah. along. Sometimes parents say, I don't want the other kids. No, like bring them along. Right. Those bring are, a whole bunch of them along. Those are important sense. times. Yeah. All right. So the second thing that we would say is kind of, you know, somewhat related. And I kind of branched it a little bit with the trip up the coast would be travel to foreign lands. Yes. Never would have really had the opportunity to do this. Every once in a while, the chess club goes to Russia or, like the, you know, <laughs> right. the Latin club is going to go to Italy or something. So I was excited. I was able to go on my, I think my first plane ever. And, um, well, that might have been, I don't know if it was Costa, Costa Rica was probably first. That's when we started kind of flirty. Yeah. Uh, dating. That's yeah. when, yeah, that's when, yeah, we started kind of flirting. We got, uh. Orange juice <laughs> on the on the plane. Yeah, on the we plane, kicked somebody we cheered, out. We cheered some orange juice, you know, together. But, but I mean, nobody, you know, and I think this is an important thing. You know, uh, there's a lot of weirdness that goes on with the short-term mission trips. But being able to send people out to these other countries and experience other ways of being is pretty empowering and enlightening. It's not it's, so much that the kids are doing a lot of great work in the world, like humanitarian wise, but they're learning something about poverty. And and just international stuff, you know, they're right. getting outside of their own little world. Right. And and so I would also say, like, being able in some way to even support, if you know, a, a group that you care about that also has, like, a long-term relationship with, um, with a, you know, another community outside, you know, somewhere foreign or whatever, then that, that's a, a better way to kind of approach it. But uh, definitely it was important for me to see that like it was such a eye-opening experience to see like I wasn't even allowed to go to Mexico before so being able to go to Costa Rica for me um and and that the fact that you know the house that I stayed in um with some of the the like the Tican people like I had I we had sh- uh, hot water and we were one of the few homes that even had the hot water right and even that was kind of inconsistent so just things like that like huh taking my hot water for granted I think it was really important in those, in those days because it counteracted this kind of Christian impulse to do mission work was really helpful to counteract the, um, I would say, the otherwise like xenophobic, racist, mm-hmm. class-based attitudes. I never understood how we could care so much about Mexicans in Mexico Mm. and then totally disregard them once we got home. Yeah. Like, oh, we were so excited to have these away. friends. Oh, we love dark-skinned children and when we're, like, visiting Africa. <laughs> we don't want them to come to this country as refugees necessarily. I'm not saying we don't, but, you know, that was kind of the attitude. But it's still... I think it was really helpful for us. And certainly a, a poor kid like me, I was never, uh, without these kind of opportunities, I was never going to be able to travel the world. And And honestly... You know, we've been a lot of places because of our association with Christianity and Christian higher education, uh, China, Hong Kong, Japan, mm-hmm. Guatemala, Honduras, Australia. I mean, I've been all over. And a lot of those, like when I was in Guatemala, even though we were doing it in the context of some some kind of mission language for the, the church group uh, or, or for the college w- with Concordia, I was really happy to focus not on just going out there and proselytizing, but to partner with a village to figure out what they needed, putting in wells. It was a healthier kind of thing. There have been healthy ways of doing it. But and anyway, to understand it. their needs and, you know, what even some of the harm 
that some groups have done, you know, to these groups coming in and, and basically building them things that weren't sustainable, right? Yeah, learning, yeah. Learning some of that stuff. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's just really eye-opening, eye-opening to have all of these experiences. And I, and it, again, even if, even if you, all you can do is travel outside your state, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do a road trip somewhere or something, if that's all you can do and just see that even in America that there's so many different ways of living. And it, I think it just is, is very important to be able to, um, well, and we've heard this before too, that you have a better sense of your own identity when you see kind of these, when you're exposed to other people, cause then you, you know, okay, well, I'm not that. And I'm, you know, you better sense of like, okay, this, this makes sense. Like, oh, I want to incorporate this in my life, you know? And anyway, I think it's very helpful as you're forming yourself as a person to sort of see all the different perspectives. Otherwise you really just think that this, like, you don't really know who you are. It's just, this is the way you do things. Yeah. And the practical takeaway friends is I think a lot of times families say, all right, we're going to do a a vacation. You know, we're going to go to France we're going to spend all our money and go to France and we're going to see the Eiffel Tower and we're going to take these selfies. And you come away kind of feeling, all right, that was fun. It was tiring. Was it transformative? I think more families, religious or not, should consider kind of um, finding ways to do travel that gets you deeper into relationship with people. And sometimes it will be through service projects. So I would think that a family would do really well at least a couple times in the cycle of their family existence to be able to go um, to to countries, other places, and do humanitarian work. And the reason is it's really fun and it's really enjoyable in a way that tourism is not. And what I mean is I get kind of bored. I get kind of tired out uh, just doing tourism. Mm-hmm. But when you go and you do right. like the short-term mission type thing, what it gave us is something that the kids who didn't go to church didn't get, which is we lived with people in foreign lands. We got to know people our age in foreign countries intimately. We weren't just having them bring us eggs in the morning Mm -hmm. at a hotel. Mm -hmm. You see, uh, getting to know people in a very, uh, you know, these relationships is something that I wish more kids had the opportunity to enjoy. And I would also say that one of the things whenever we travel, we always try, I mean, there's sometimes we want to do, you know, we knock off the little tourism things off our list too, but more importantly, we like to see where do the locals hang out? Yeah. What are they doing? Where are they eating? Can we, yeah. can we find that scene? Sometimes it's hard to find it. Sometimes you can't, you know, mm. cause you are, we are such tourists <laughs> to them, but we always try to kind of figure that out because then you get such a bigger insight than, than just the tourism thing. You don't need, you don't need, you know, to bring your little spot of safety with you to just another place. You might as well just go to a resort, I guess at that point. Right. Um, but if you're just, if you're able to travel and actually, it's a better kind of travel with the local community, it's a better Better travel travel. as well as, as well as one of the things that becomes a little bit more apparent too, is what is the environment doing in these other areas? And 
or what's the environment doing to the well-being of people in these other areas? Correct. Yeah. So like, are there, but I was th- thinking, are there birds? Is there yeah. flooding? Like, you know, what sorts of things are going on? Uh, they, they can tell you sort of, oh, well, we know, you know, we no longer can grow this crop because our climate doesn't support it anymore. We, you know, these are, you see things that are all dying out or whatever. And, and it's important to see and recognize and be faced with these realities. Yeah. And it becomes more apparent the more you travel where things are, are kind of off or, or what things are successful, you know? Anyway. So I, I, I think that's right. And I think the humanization of it is really important because I remember we went to Mexico monthly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't, but I, I the, couldn't, our church I wasn't allowed. did, but yeah. And I, so I would go on these, I mean, from seventh grade all the way through high school. Um, it really changes your perspective on immigration. So, you know, growing up, there's all these influences that would be kind of, kind of closed border type perspectives, but us evangelical kids going to make friends our age saying, why can't they be here other than this artificial state boundary? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was very helpful for us. What, what's next? All right. Number three, family when you felt alone. I had eight brothers and sisters, but like we kind of were on our own a lot of it, you know, and um, it was really nice for me to be able to have folks that could, you know, kind of teach me things like we were talking about skiing or, you know, playing guitar or whatever. Um, But also just just like when you're not plugging in in high school, like middle school especially was was miserable. Like people were getting their faces stomped, you know in my world, but just like having a place where you had a kind of acceptance and love, boy, we need to make sure we, we ensure that our kids have those kind of spaces. Yeah. And I, I kind of add to that because I think this sort of falls in that same category are, I thought it was very important to have these adult mentors, people that I could talk to that basically, you know, sometimes I don't know, middle school and high school, your body's going through all sorts of changes. You're, you know, you're, I don't know, like dealing with these, you know, different things with friends and relationships and all sorts of stuff. And I think that, um, it's helpful to have, you know, an older person to, to talk this through with and to, you know, and you don't necessarily feel comfortable talking to your parents at that age, you know, now so. sometimes it can get like, you know, there have been experiences where you don't want to be talking to these people. I mean, I remember <laughs> one time we had, we had, uh, some uh, some youth staff leaders that it was kind of creepy, like they were getting divorced, and they told us by me taking a ride in a uh, in a in a in a convertible with the gal. Yeah, and, and I then stayed you at the house with the dude, with the dude, and because they invited us over for dinner as a couple, like you know, because we were a couple and they were a couple. I don't know, so they, you know. Then they told us they were splitting up. But it was just weird. So I'm not saying it was that really the mentoring and, and was always why were we Why were we separated? And why yeah. are we separated the way that we were? And that just, I don't know, it just felt awkward. And it was like, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I fortunately I didn't have any, um, I didn't feel that there was anything like any moves put on me or anything that wasn't like that, but it was uncomfortable to be alone at the house with him, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, anyway, it's just the whole thing was awkward. And I would say that also, yes, these mentors, (laughs) I mean, you'd have to, you have to vet them and, you know, and, and provide, you know, appropriate spaces and things like that to get together. Like it, it, that's where things can go terribly wrong. And in any context, it could be Boy Scouts, it, it could be gymnastics, right. Right? right? But the point being, it is nice to have intergenerational um, mentoring. And if you don't have that in your kids' lives, I think you should try to 
find an appropriate way to do it, even if it's just uh, people that you know at work or whatever that have, you know, interests. Do they collect pigeons? <laughs> Not collect pigeons, but like, you know, breed, you know, pa- pa- like those pigeons that go in, you know, with homing pigeons or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember there was an old guy, you know, that was kind of a mentor uh, for Augie uh, at church. You know, there was supposed to be this connection between, and I thought that was cool. And I think it's better for us to have that than not have it. And churches are where you, you might more likely find it. And a lot of times people don't get it yeah. if they're if they're not in that world. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to move on to number four. And it's also somewhat connected. And it's freedom to hang out with friends. Yes. So for me, I know that I, you know, I mentioned I wasn't allowed to go to Mexico. Uh, I was shocked that I actually was able to go to Costa Rica. Uh, I think part of it, too, is... Costa Rica is safer. <laughs> I, uh, well, but I also, part of it was um, I worked. And so I saved up my own money. And I then, you know, at a certain point, it's like, you know, my parents can't use... Not being able to pay for it is the excuse. And then the church is talking about what, you know, a great mission this right, is for God. Right, it's for Jesus. So you have so, to be able to go swim right. with the monkeys. And Well, the monkeys don't swim. You swim. The greatest thing about the beach, if you've never been, friends, Costa Rica is the best. The beach is warm water. It's like 80 degree water. Monkeys on the beach. Iguanas on the beach. You can drink out of a coconut and you can do it all for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so I was able to do things. I, my My parents were... You know, they were they were on the stricter side and uh, protective. And so basically me being able to hang out with church friends, I was able to do far more than any of my public school friends. Like if there was an outing to the movies or whatever, you know, there's a lot more questions. If it was the school friends, if it's church friends, it was like, okay, yes, you have a little bit more of a pass. There's still a lot of questions and, you know, things, but I was able to do these things that I don't think I would have otherwise been allowed to do. And so it was, and it was a time where I needed to, I needed to branch out of my own family and, you know, and hang out with friends in these other ways and get outside of my house. You know, we, <laughs> otherwise I, I could have, I don't know, been one of those kids that probably, I, I, the other thing would have been me. I would have just been pulled up and gotten books and just read books yes. is what I would have done and yes. just escaped into book world. You definitely a little more introverted. It would be hard for you to get outside of your shell. Interesting. It's not just hard for you to get out of the house. It was Literally hard for the Wood family to get out of the house. I just want to tell one uh, anecdote about this. I remember uh, we we had just started dating, so I was kind of responsible for you. Interesting thing. <laughs> and um, so we were all supposed to <laughs> yes, meet because you know you got to have an, a boy looking out for. We were going to go on a trip to to uh, to water skiing in the desert, you know, at the Mojave Desert, and um, and we were supposed to meet at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was now 1115 and there was no sign of Stacy and her sisters that were supposed to come on this trip. And so like the entire, I think there must've been 55 kids, the youth pastor, the staff, everybody is just sitting there kind of irritated because we're waiting for the last four girls or three girls to show up for the youth group. Then the youth guy says, hey, Jeff, could you just go and like kind of see what's going on? Can you kind of move them along? Like what's going on with these people? I get to your house. I swear an hour and 15 minutes late. 
I get in the door and you're all like kneeling and praying for like 10 more minutes. I'm in like, the living room. I'm like, no, God doesn't need to We're hear. on our knees. I'm praying that you every, get out the door. <laughs> every time before um, a family trip, my family would always, we'd go into the living room, we would get on our knees, we would go sit in a circle and hold hands, and we would pray for... And the, I saw this. We'd pray for the trip, you know, and our time together. Yes. And that God would bless all of that and keep us safe. You should have been now, praying for expedited movement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do believe that part of the reason that it was that incredibly long and late, if I'm remembering correctly, it was because this was a trip that my parents, or at least my dad, was also going on, and we were bringing our boat, and he was going to be one of the ones to pull the skiers and some of that. And so, oh, your pops, I love him, but he he so he is when, not fast with getting that boat out. No, and <laughs> there's a lot He's of prepared. There, yes, there's a lot of things that you know, little details and stuff like that. So he, you know, when going on these trips, um, you know, even when we would go with our neighborhood travels and stuff and we would all bring our boats uh our family was always like the one that was always last always late always running behind and they were always like come on let's go let's go sometimes it got to the point where like all right we'll go we'll meet you there (laughs) kind of thing so yes Yes. my family was known for this and and this is what we did so my guess is is that that's why i was so incredibly late uh was that my dad was also involved with himself having to pack up the boat and the car and everything else. And notice this pattern in my life. Um, notice the pattern in my life. Uh, people not getting out the door on time and then other people mad at me. So people are mad at me because you were running late. I think this is strange. What's next? So number five, also sort of we're kind of a progression here, but freedom to hang out with romantic interests. Yes. Yeah, so you could have friends. That was the last one. So youth group offered me the ability or I was, you know, finally allowed to be able to hang out with, you know, since I was able to hang out with the groups with a whole bunch of people, then you can explore perhaps like, hmm, I kind of like this person, you know? And, and so that's obviously when, you know, I started obviously liking you. And then even when we were dating, it offered the ability for us to still like hang out and do things together, uh, even while we're dating, which my parents would have been probably far more stricter on what I could have done or not done um, in, in like a date type situation. Yes. And I think that we need to be able to get our young people into spots where they can have these kind of group date experiences. And it's kind of funny or maybe ironic in a way that I think we had more fun date type possibilities going to church than if we hadn't gone to church. What are you going to do? You can't go out to the bar, you know, what do you do? And so there's a lot of fun, you know, just kind of free space. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the downside, of course, is I think a lot of us got locked in earlier than we were <laughs> ready for <laughs> because, you know, of all the of all the other weirdness. But mm-hmm. but again, this is a show where we're talking about what are those things we wish we could help other people have. And so being able to get those uh, experiences, by the way, that aren't all like gender segregated. Mm-hmm. So you might have, you know, baseball or cheerleading or whatever it is that you do. Uh, but to the extent that those are all kind of gender specific or the teams are gendered, um, then you don't have all of that difference. And maybe you're really into track, but you might want to date somebody that's not a sports person, <laughs> you know, right. like it just gives you better opportunities. And, and for me, and, and kind of, and it goes with sort of um, the, both of those last two things together is that there was a difference for me when I was hanging out with school friends versus my church friends. And I personally was, um, I don't know, I, I guess, uh, 
for lack of a better word, but very naive, very innocent. Mm. And I like I didn't really want to be a part of a drinking scene. I didn't want to be a part of, you know, like a lot of what like. So, for instance, there was a time in middle school where I went over to a friend's house. And uh, and and so there was two of us, three gals all together that were spending the night at her house, and and then her stepbrother comes and brings his friends, and then she an older stepbrother, right, a couple years older, and then you know then they want to hang out with us, and they wanted us to go like cow tipping and stuff, and they had been drinking, and I was just totally uncomfortable with that, and so like. Just to be even put in that situation, I didn't find that I was ever put in that situation with my church friends. Some people had horrible experiences. We did have a pretty good opportunity to have these... Safe fun. Safe fun. Yeah, it wasn't like people weren't creeping on you necessarily. And Mm -hmm. they really weren't. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a pretty innocent time for us, yeah. So I really appreciated that opportunity to explore uh, going out and having fun uh, without the pure pressure that I often felt in other circles. Number six, practice with practical skills like performance and public speaking. This was the best part. You know, like how many opportunities do you have as a young person to practice that that public communication? A lot of the time in school, you're learning how to memorize stuff and fill it out on a a Scantron. That is not a great life skill if you want to get into sales. If you want to sell yourself, uh, getting in uh, like a job uh, interview. I think that going to youth group helped me be a better interviewee. Is that the word? Yeah. Getting interviewed was much help, much more helpful. Uh, being able to be successful as a, as a leader in the workplace as opposed to uh, just kind of a, an employee, I think that that comes from the participatory nature of youth group. I got into guitar. Um, I got into, uh, you know, I was preaching a sermon in my sophomore year of high school, but that ability to kind of create a, a, like a sermon or something translated into the ability to create compelling writing for college. Mm. Does that make sense? I mean, mm-hmm. there, there, there were these things that I think I wouldn't have been able to gain from the public school system that I got that were purely educational, mm-hmm. including by the way, um, even though it could get weird, the, Biblical studies allowed me to have a framework for understanding the classical world, the ancient Near East, things that um, that I eventually really cared about, you know, in terms of history. Yeah, and I, I found that um, I was exposed to less uh, public speaking opportunities. They certainly weren't going to have me be preaching a sermon. Oh, that's church. true. Oh my gosh, I'm but, so blindsided by um, this, my own stupidity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're, <laughs> you're a gal, I, you could talk to children or people of color, but right. But what I, I guess I was given opportunities to be a a counselor or, uh, you know, a leader for the younger kids, uh, whether it's through vacation Bible school or through camp situations as a camp counselor, some of those things where I was able to, you know, branch out. And I think that, but having a smaller group situation where if you have an idea, you can help maybe like be able to suggest it and make it happen, you know, whatever your passion might be projects and things that, uh, you know, so there's these various opportunities that, I, you know, I find that that's one of the things I've also appreciated um, with our smaller colleges that we've been exposed to is the level of the students that want to get involved and want to get experience with some of these leadership opportunities. It's far more easier to get involved in that in a smaller group setting. And then you can start to you know hone in your skills before you branch out into the bigger world mm. with, you know, with that. So, yes, but there was less opportunity for me than than you in some of those areas. 
Number seven, parents had at least one or two breaks a week, and I would say a week in the summer for, say, VBS and stuff, you know? Or that trip to Costa Rica. You know, parents, th- that's kind of why we wanted to get our kids when we were in Kentucky. I only It only lasted two weeks, but I got them into Awanas, which is, by the way, a complete fraud. My friend Scott Copeland says, hey, you got to come to church. That's kind of how I got into it. You got to come to this thing called Awanas. That's if how you, I got into it. Is it? In third grade. Because if you memorize these Bible verses, then you can get um, a crown, and then they'll put jewels in the crown. When I got there, it was just like bedazzled plastic jewels. I thought that was <laughs> stupid. I was like, this isn't a crown. This is a crown-like shaped badge. And these aren't jewels. These are like faux jewels in the plastic crown. I... Boy, oh boy, was I disappointed because <laughs> I thought this is going to be my ticket to, to wealth. Because you know, like I said, I only had a peanut butter spoon. Some days I, I figured I can get steaks with the with the jewelry that I'm going to uh, be able to unload. Serve you a snack or something too. Well, that's and, true. We did get some pizza and stuff. And I know, I know that um, often there was the Wednesday night dinner before. Oh the yeah, thing. that was fun. So you get maybe a dinner oh, and then the Salis- I mean, I don't eat meat anymore, but the Salisbury steak when you you know. <laughs> Cheerios without milk for breakfast, but then you get the Salisbury steak at night. So I think sometimes I'd sneak in the back. Maybe it was $5, but it was still a good, it felt like a home-cooked meal. I remember also even just when our kids were little and they were going to be in the, uh, you know, the Christmas sort of thing with Mary and Joseph and all that. Yes. And, and they had to practice. And I'm like, oh, well, what are we going to do? We can go Christmas shopping now for a couple hours. Yes. Uh, and that was nice, you know, to be able to have that time where the kids were for sure going to be, um, cause we often, we didn't live near family. Right. And right. so, uh, we sometimes had, uh, students that we'd pay to babysit. Um, uh, so we had access to babysitters, but we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so the ability, church is cheaper. Yeah. So the ability to like, just have a couple hours to, you know, do the Christmas shopping without having to pay for somebody while you're also going to spend money. It was helpful. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you can like kind of offset the, uh, spiritual, emotional and other kinds of trauma that you might <laughs> submit your children to, to take them to church. I mean, there, there is a value for families in getting that space every once in a while, you know? And so, um, you know, of course you can use babysitting, but it's nice to be able to have those outings and activities for kids to be able to go give the parents some time to, to be together and reconnect. And I would say even, even if you considered within your, you know, community, if you did, you know, take turns hosting kids yes. over to your house while the parents could get away to do the, yeah whatever they need to do without the kids being able to see, you I know, it's a great idea. It's just like, I just envisioning this, like that just sounds so bougie. Like I don't yeah. like play dates like that are they, artificial, but I think you should do it. I, you know, one of the things when, uh, our youngest was in pre-K, so it wasn't like every single day we, there was like a carpool situation where yes. we would take, you know, we, whoever picked up the kids would take the kids for a couple hours longer. Cause you know, the, the couple hours that you get, it's just almost like you drop them off, you come home, you're like, ah, I can finally get some stuff done, right? You're going to start like, you're going to maybe start cleaning the house and you're like, ah, you know, I'm so tired. I'm going to drink my coffee here for a second, mm-hmm. you know? And then maybe you get like a thing or something done or whatever that you need to do. And then, you know, it's time once again to go pick them up, you know? And so I did appreciate the times where uh, I was in a rotation where we would pick up, you know, say three or four kids all of them would go to the person's house that was picking them up. And, you know, that would give us another hour or two. So you actually had some space to really get 
good stuff done. And that was also helpful to some of the moms that were working moms that, um, you know, worked like, you know, sort of on a part-time level with Mm. uh, clients and things like that. And they could schedule their appointments during those times. Mm. And I think that that sort of thing of being able to actually be constructive during that time is helpful with a little bit larger of a break. And that was appreciated. It's a little different than church, but you could be doing that. Well, that's the whole point though, is that this show, we're trying to say, what are those gains? What are those advantages? Mm -hmm. And is there a way for us to replace that? And I think we have to be in all of the ways that you're going to replace it, you're going to have to be more active and intentional in your life. The church kind of takes care of these things for you. And that's also the way that they suck you in. Right. Mm -hmm. So VBS is a way of getting overworked parents that maybe even can't afford to get childcare for their kids now that they're not in K through 12 school. And so the church comes in and gives you a mom and dad a break for a week but the price is they're going to, they're going to proselytize your kids right. and try to get them to stay at the church for the rest of the year. You know, and if, by the way, if you're a kid, if you're a, if you're a church and you believe that these kids might go to hell, if they don't hear the good news of Jesus Christ and accept him into their heart, well then that's a good thing to do, right? It's not like, you know, the motives aren't necessarily bad. <laughs> you're trying to get people to come to church and have all the good things that you believe are good about church. Um, but but I think there is like a trick there. It's that well, you're not going to just care for the kids. You're going to care for the kids. You're going to be their friend so you can kind of trick them into being saved from hell. Hmm. Well, if you know, that that's the construct that's weird about it. But you, you set that aside. We should be caring about the neighborhood kids. Right. <laughs> Period. Um, yeah. And I, I would also say that a lot of times when it's some of the church programs that especially say like a VBS, it's ran off the backs of a bunch of volunteers and some folks that are new to volunteering and just because yes. they're stepping up to help for the summer. And the hard part with that is, you know, they're going to bring their own biases and their own take on what they think is important about the religion with them. And they haven't necessarily been vetted by all (laughs) of the pastor and some of that. And so I I felt sometimes some of the most disturbing things that I would hear our kids come home with um, did come, I'm sure very innocently from these volunteers, but you know, you've got to eat your whole lunch or else God's going to be really mad at you. And yeah. we didn't teach our kids that kind of thing, you know, Jesus but, is crucified because you're sloppy. Yeah. Like don't, <laughs> you know, you don't want to make Jesus suffer more on the cross. Do you, you know, like it, it just things like that, where people tweak some of the, the stuff and it can be, it could be pretty damaging yes. if you're not careful. So I say talking to your kids and finding out too, if you do take them to some of these church things, have them process what it was so that you can, undo maybe some harmful things yeah. and, and nip it, you know, before it grows in their mind as a, a bigger issue. And generally, you know, uh, uh, as Dan Savage, <laughs> the uh, sex writer says, uh, if, uh, I think how he said, uh, if clowns, <laughs> what was it? if clowns committed as many sexual assaults as youth pastors, oh, it would be illegal to take your kids to the circus. Yeah. We are not saying to send your kids no. to youth group. We're actually saying you probably shouldn't send your kids right. to youth group. But these were the things that we found. These helpful. are the things we want to replace. Yes. yes. Okay. Keep it going. Uh, number eight, which I guess I accidentally already mentioned. And so I'll see if there's anything that you would like to add. And I, so I don't have to say too much, but is safe fun and escape from home and school. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we can move on, but it is that there, 
again, all the things that are not safe, we've already mentioned those, but we aren't hanging out under the bridge, uh, you know, s- s- snuff huffing, or... uh, huffing paint or, 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 or like jumping off bridge. I mean, we, we jumped off some bridges, you know, but, but there's generally somebody paying attention. So you're kind of, it's a controlled chaos. We got into some trouble. We got to be rebellious, but it wasn't. We, we were never really in that much danger mm-hmm. uh, in the in the sorts of things we did. And so being able to provide that. And I think sometimes parents, they kind of live this weird way where they, they're they overly controlling until their kids are outside. And then their kids get hurt because they're they're not used to being able to, to, to play yeah. in a responsible but I will, free way. I will say that, so that is, that is one piece is that I definitely had my values already instilled in me. And so... You know, when it came to being put in difficult situations, uh, I already like had this sense of right and wrong, and I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna go with the the kids that were drinking to go cow tipping. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I just knew that that's not wise for me. Uh, but that could have actually happened even with <laughs> going to somebody from the church group's family too. You know, Certainly. so my point of bringing that up is just to say instilling the values in your kids and like talking to them about real life situations and like, you know, those kinds of things is far more important because they can be encouraged to do all sorts of activities or whatever that would be otherwise not safe for them. Uh, no matter who they're with, uh, church related or not. And so owning that and having that be a part of them is what's important. Not so much like just having them avoid certain situations. What I appreciate about the avoiding piece because our group happened to be very, you know, like it wasn't threatening in that way, was that I just didn't have to be confronted with it all the time. With what? Like, so being asked to like, you know, peer pressured into trying to get into a car to go car tipping with these guys that cow have been tipping. drinking. Or car tipping, yeah, cow <laughs> tipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, cow tipping with these guys that are drinking, for yes. instance. I just, that wasn't a, a common uh peer pressure thing that I ever had to deal with with the youth group kids. Right. But it could have been, yeah. you know, there could have been a family that I stayed with or whatever and they had stepchildren and the same thing could have exactly happened. My friend could have been part of the youth group, but it just didn't happen to be. And I just didn't find in my own unique situation that I, I had, I felt less threatened by the choices and ways that I was going to have to like stand up for myself within the church group. Now, flashback to 1991, parents, in case you're wondering if it was always safe. No, I remember driving like mad with a couple kids who That's were little true. Ticos from, uh, were you there with us, Costa Rica? I we wasn't were driving in through the car. jungle. I was staying with a different family, so I wasn't faced with the same We were issues. with these missionary kids. Now, uh, you know, the, you know, the song, uh, nobody moved me like the son of a preacher man, preacher man. That's, that his kids can get out of hand. Missionary kids, and these were missionary pastors' kids. Um, they were t- Costa Rican. In Costa Rica, they were uh, the most out of control. <laughs> so we stayed with the pastors' kids, and these two uh, really fun. Guys, I mean, I wish I could go back in time and actually hang with them. But I'm just saying, I'm dry. I'm careening through the jungle at one in the morning. There's beers in the hands of the two teenagers that are driving, and. Uh, and I see a sign that says like Nicaragua five miles. I'm like, could we not yeah, cross I've, into Nicaragua? Nicaragua '91. I don't know. It wasn't like as bad as it was in the '80s, scary. I guess. But I'm like, I don't want to go to Nicaragua. And they're like, No, we're going. I'm like, Please just drop me off in the jungle. I'm not going to Nicaragua <laughs> like, I, with you drinking 
no. careening through the, the monkey jungle. Yeah. Uh, and I say monkey jungle because they're actual monkeys, which I did appreciate. So it's not always safe, safe. I will also say that some of the most precarious situations that you also got into uh, – at a Christian college was from some of the pastor's kids that finally got freedom for the first time. Right. Oh yeah. And they that's were... where I first started drinking and, <laughs> and you know, that that's where like the pastor's kids, when I was a, when I was a student in Colorado as a Christian college kid in Colorado, I remember I, they put me in with the pastor's kids. It was like the craziest thing. And, and uh, that's where I was waiting in the back of a pickup truck I don't recommend this, people. But I was waiting in the back of a pickup truck with my uh, with my new handgun that I purchased because I turned twenty one, and um, and I, it was the only time, well, the first time I uh, used and didn't use my weapon to protect myself because people tried to break into the back of the pickup truck. Why was I at one in the morning in Denver on a snowy night in the in the in the alleyway? in the back of a CD neighborhood. It's because all my pastor's kids' friends, they weren't going into the strip club. And I said, I don't want to go into a strip club, so I'll just stay here. And, uh, and that's, what that, that's what that was. So again, church kids, not necessarily the safest. Right, right. But there is an opportunity sometimes for safe fun. We had that. And I would say that a lot of our summers, um, there was a, a core group of us that kind of almost did most every day together. Yes. We would go to the beach. We would go to each other's home. Outside like our of whole church. group would, yeah. yeah, our whole group would uh, pick somebody's house maybe, and then we would make spaghetti dinner together or whatever. Maybe somebody had a pool. We would be able to hang out. Like those were ways of like, not always like, we didn't have a lot of money either. So using the beach and using people's houses yes. and pools oh, and things so like great. that was very helpful oh, to was, have fun in the summer. Oh, it was so great. Like we had so many of friends that were like affluent and wealthy and had these big, beautiful pools. <laughs> like and, community pools. Oh my gosh. And even home pools. Yeah. I mean, it was just a great way. I, like I said, seven brothers and sisters, half of them in diapers and Cheerios on the floor. It was nice to be able to go to Nellie Gale. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or yeah. to Christine's house. Although, you know, like poor Christine, her parents would always be fighting. It. <laughs> well, and then like, you know, that's where you can get more of the bigger, you know, TVs that feel more like a theater, <gasps> like home theater type thing Back and stuff like days, that. Yeah. All right. What do <laughs> anyway, we got next? Uh, number nine, intellectual stimulation. Come on. Mm-hmm. There's something that a lot of young people miss. And when I say intellectual stimulation, you can go to school. You know, and you can learn some stuff. But youth group is where sometimes we would have these small group things where we would go read a book and then we discuss it. Yeah. The ability to to reflect on critically a concept, really powerful. Now, this also reminds me, um, we left evangelicalism eventually for Lutheranism. And the reason we did is because we thought, well, Lutheranism is a little bit more like there's a more um, intellectual content to it, more of a concern for um, theology, church history, philosophy. Well, philosophy is a weird one, but, you know, that was kind of how that was. Um, But one of the things that I lost and one of the things I really liked about the evangelical days was as an evangelical kid, I was forced to read an ancient text and make a determination. Am I an Arminian or a Calvinist? Do I believe in free will or predestination? Do I believe that hell is eternal or is it like something where you get annihilated? Even though the questions were kind of funky, you know, in conservative evangelical land, the fact is I was invited to make a determination about what I thought. Mm-hmm. Was the rapture going to be something that happened 
before or after the Great Tribulation? A question that I don't really concern myself with these days, but a question that I got to answer. And when I got to Lutheranism, we didn't get as much of that. And that's what I was. Get, that's why I kind of got frustrated with Concordia, not because of Concordia per se, but this Lutheran idea that you're supposed to just listen to the authorities and then you just write it down and memorize right. it instead of wrestling, wrestling with, with it. it. I, for me, the the big appeal. Uh, to going into something with a little bit more structure was that I found that in the evangelical experience that one, there were church splits often over who the pastor was or a new pastor yes. and what the pastor believed. Cause it could be different than what, you know, what you believe in these, you, you had this, you know, conversation and had these thoughts and like, mm-hmm. um, and so there were, you know, the, so one that the church felt often like it was the pastor and then two, uh, the likelihood of the church splits just seemed so, um, at least the con- church that we were at or the ones that we had experienced was so high that it felt like, uh, you know, just as you're kind of getting comfortable, then something's ripping apart that church community again. And yeah. and I wanted more stability and I wanted, you know, I wanted, I wanted those like doctrines and stuff behind some of this stuff so that it's not going to be changing depending on who's preaching every single day, you know, well, that was a really big, uh, paradigm shift for us. That was good when we moved over to Lutheranism was, so we were in church in this Lutheran church in the mountains. Uh, it was an ELCA church, more mainline, but they were kind of conservative, mm-hmm. you know, the congregation itself anyway. Um, but they, uh, they didn't have a pastor for seven months, eight months. And they ran along quite nicely because everybody was just doing their own thing, their music or the whatever, you know, um, setting up the flowers, doing service to the community. That was kind of nice where Mm -hmm. the church isn't about the pastor. Whereas evangelicalism, it was the ego of the pastor, the celebrity of that Mm -hmm. pastor and the cool factor, you know? So yeah, I got, I got you there. And of course we also grew up in the shadow of Rick Warren's Saddleback church. So our church had been the biggest church. And then all of a sudden it got vacuumed out kind of lost half its members over to Saddleback because they had better <laughs> entertainment. Yeah, I was, it was a whole production. It was a whole show. When we mm-hmm. would go over there, we just like, hmm, like it doesn't, it's not as boring as sitting in my seat that I sometimes are sitting. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I there's a lot of things I appreciated about our church where we met Stacy. Uh, and, uh, I'm sure like, you know, our pastor, Dick Bush, uh, Dick Bush was a very, um, uh, learned man. He went to Princeton. Um, but I would say mm, kind of dry. Mm. And then you go over and there's like you oh, know, brass band and like the gal from like 2D from, from Facts of Life or something is speaking at, at Saddleback. It was a, I mean, and, and <laughs> it, wasn't unco- it was not uncommon to get 30, 40 minute sermons, you know. Yes. It was like basically two hymns. We, it was a, they were very much against the praise music. Mm-hmm. And that was the big difference. We were very traditional, like, you know, Grace Community Church, mm-hmm. not in the youth group. Right. So that's where the youth group, and then of course it was in the youth group there. My hair was too long and we were playing music that was bringing the devil. And that's another time, another conversation for another time. Let's bring it home, baby. Number 10, altruism. I remember hearing from somebody, I was kind of lamenting short-term missions and the problems that evangelicals create around the world. Um, And I think it was somebody I was talking to uh, that was working with Amnesty International. Mm. And they were saying that sometimes... It can be annoying, but at other times, the only real partnerships that you have where there's a bunch of people that are intrinsically motivated to go out and heal the world and, and do good things for people. Mm -hmm. It was evangelical kids. There's a specific kind of evangelical kid that stays around 
I got a lot of them. I'm not going to name their names, but you know, Hey, if you're my former student, you know who I am, Scott Brabson, where <laughs> there are people that have really interesting desires to make a difference in the world mm -hmm. and evangelical missions is the, is the platform for it. There's, there's not a lot of other opportunities when you're a high schooler to go and fight sex trafficking in Thailand, yeah. you know? And so we had these students and here's a student. It's the, it's the, here's the gal version, <laughs> the stereotype, the archetype of this, where's Tevas doesn't need to do their hair every week or every day. So you got the, like the scarf on the head, you got like the, uh, the versatile, um, you know, clothing and a backpack and they are, you know, they got their little, uh, like the little ankle bracelet that they got from some kid for five bucks or whatever, but they're out there loving people, trying to heal people. And to the extent that they take it seriously, they will often become politically more liberal because mm -hmm. they care about the, the people, the people. And I always found that to be like this angle for allies within evangelicalism. If you, these were the kids that were into Bono, like you two, um, they were in, they, they were interested not in imperialism, you know, so some of the most radical kids were those who were on the, the, the monthly Mexico trip. Mm -hmm. Now, did we misunderstand the way in which we should be doing mutual aid instead of charity? Yes. Were we patronizing? Yes. Was there a power imbalance? Was there a thing where we're bringing you our old t-shirts and you should love us because we're like the white saviors? Yes, yes, and yes. But what it, what it allowed for was an, uh, a young person in evangelicalism to think about serving people outside of themselves and sometimes people outside of themselves in the local community. This is, to me, I'm seeing this go away. When, when we were young, the idea of serving people around the world, international, multicultural, this was all really good. The, the shift I see even in like the Baptist circles and the evangelical circles away from that beautiful concern for people from other cultures, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't want you to go and destroy somebody's indigenous traditions and religion, put clothes on everybody and make them stop doing the shamanistic cool, coolness. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. But the fact is you're doing it, you're doing it because you care about other people yeah. and you want to quote, reach them. Well, fine. That motivation also comes with uh, a concern for other people that's helping young people get outside of themselves. And I'm seeing too much of young people uh, in a secular setting um, have, have uh, fewer opportunities to exercise that altruism muscle. Yeah. You know? Well, so... One of the things that, at least, yeah, from the evangelical days, uh, I really did, I really did, uh, like, I believed, I believed everything. I, I, I have, like, as far as, like, I thought that people's eternal souls were for sure, like, at stake with yes. whether I shared with them the gospel or not. And I took that very seriously. And... I meant it when I was going on these trips. Like I wanted mm -hmm. to share that. I wanted other people. I, I could not, I could not really, I, I felt so awful about all of these people that could be rotting in hell, you know, and it like really bothered me and it made me want to like go and talk to other people and, and share that. Uh, 
then moving into the Reformed and Lutheran circles, there was seemed like less concern for the people outside and more, it was seemed more about supporting like just the, yeah, the church itself experience. and the group in our experience. And so the, the activities that were often involved, I mean, not always, and there's always exceptions, but I'm saying like overall, like the, the majority feeling of the multiple churches mm-hmm. that we went to was that your kids maybe go to like a, a big youth gathering with, you know, with church people and not so much about like serving other people or trying to spread the gospel type of thing. You know, like it wasn't about like, you know, like there was a, like, anyway, I just, is this true for all of them? No, 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 no. But I would just say like, if you think about it, you know, we accidentally found ourselves at Viking stadium at the national youth gathering for the Lutherans. I thought that this was going to be maybe 1100 people in a, like a church basement. Because there was that one summer right before COVID where we had so many speaking opportunities in that one summer. And, and I, I was a keynote at this, this thing called Higher Things, which is more of the conservative liturgical side of the Lutherans. That's what I thought it was going to be. 1,100 people at like a local camp. And I thought that they were talking about like Viking Stadium. Or I, I thought that was like the, the Lutheran High School Auditorium. But it was like 20,000 very, very white people. We, we walked into the stadium that first night knowing that you were going to be the final speaker of the entire thing, closing out the, this whole gathering. And I was supposed to memorize it, and I was so tired. I didn't realize I had to memorize I thought I was going to have a teleprompter or something. Yeah, and we looked at the side, like coming into that, and we're like, Oh, oh, and this like Toby Mac no, was speaking. I was like, like I do not know how I got into this situation. I mean, way bigger. T- anybody there? Thank you for indulging me. I thought we had some fun. I talked about uh, the story where uh, uh, Father John missed the concert. Uh, somebody was peeing on everybody. It was fun. Uh, I don't know how I got into that. I don't know how they let me do it. And uh, it was it was all overall positive experience. But um, but I was going to say the the weirdest thing was. Um, in addition to the like the the big ga- the big part of the gathering, the keynote, we were also doing these sectionals on like spiritual trauma and religious abuse and so forth. And uh, you know, maybe about like eight hundred, nine hundred people in a session. But I was in one of my sessions. I was always uh, the opening act for my little talk was a hip hop artist, and I just felt so bad for him because he'd come in with these urban beats. And I mean, I love the kids, the Midwestern blonde white kids. We're trying so hard to to clap to the beat, uh, but it just it it was like a bright like he would be doing this this hip hop show at a hotel conference room in the middle of the day in the middle of the day and no one's drinking it just I don't know <laughs> and I just I even apologize I said oh this has got to be hard and he had to do his set like and over and over to create the hype help right the right hype. right it's oh my gosh um, but also. You know, they were all <laughs> mostly white, which is, you know, it's like a Lutheran thing. But but um, my point being, you know, we talked about last time, um, a lot of times in these ethnic churches, it's like, how are we going to entice people that are the children of marginally associated uh, German friends, right? It's like, so, you know, the the this family is technically on the books. They have some adolescent kids that don't come to church. Evangelism in a lot of these cases is providing some opportunities, providing some attractive programming to get those families more engaged in church. When we were doing youth work now, not in the Lutheran world, but in the Dutch uh, Christian Reformed Church, you know, there were maybe, we started out with five 
um, Dutch kids. And then I thought, because, you know, we had grown up in evangelicalism, like my main goal is to grow the size of the church. So we got up to like 30, 40 kids, but a lot of them were non-white neighborhood kids. And I was sad to realize, at least from some of the elders, that that's not what they wanted. They right. didn't want me babysitting these other kids. They wanted me babysitting their kids. Right. And that was just a different mindset. And so I guess what I'm saying is evangelicalism, for all of its faults, did give us the sense that, uh, that we should transcend our ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that is getting you know, into the kids today. Right. You know, and our son. Yeah. yeah, But that's, that's the game. Yeah. And I, so I, the, so all of these opportunities that we got, there are definitely some positive takeaways and with any situation, I mean, it could be, you know, uh, there could be harmful things that happen, um, even in what so-called safe environments, which is, that's the, that's the hard part is when, when it does go wrong. Um, it, it's so sad because it, it, completely sort of destroys what like this beautiful this beautiful little opportunity that is there within it right friends being able to have fun grow and serve their neighbors that's a we want to get that for kids right and so whatever ways that we can find that in healthy ways and allowing kids to be able to be together get outside experience life in the world together is a way that you can also start to find some deep peace upon peace and spread it friends (laughs) spread the love Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.